mostly just to relieve anyone who's feeling anxious. You know, if you find out you're pregnant, you didn't know, and you you did some things that you probably wouldn't have done if you knew you were pregnant, chill out. You know, like it's there's there are so many factors that go into the health of the baby when we're talking about things like this may increase the risk of this. It's all about risk. It's a small percentage of people that will actually have these outcomes. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill Hall. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the show. For my longtime listeners who have been here for a while, I mean, you know, I always try to cover a wide range of topics on this show. Sometimes we keep it pretty broad. Like last week when we talked about time management, I mean, I feel like that's a topic everyone can relate to. And then there's other weeks where we get granular. We get a little niche. And that's what's happening this week. I got a little selfish because this is a topic that I'm currently living right now. And that's focusing on fertility after over a decade of trying not to get pregnant. This has honestly been a big shift for me this year. I mean, I knew I always wanted to have kids eventually, But it wasn't something I was actively thinking about or trying to do until really like the last few months. So I had kind of given myself this timeline a while ago of like, all right, after our wedding, we're going to start trying for kids. Like I'll be 33. I kind of got an extra year thanks to COVID pushing our wedding back. And Brandon and I knew we were getting married on June 12th. So when anyone ever asked us like, when are you guys going to start trying for babies? We would always joke and say, June 13th. Like the plan was always to get started ASAP. So we obviously got married and it's go time and everything. And imagine my surprise when I realized, oh shit, A, I'm terrified and B, Fertility is not like a guaranteed thing. And there's actually a lot that I can be doing to get my body in better shape for fertility. So that's what we're going to be chatting about today. We have on special guest, Whitney English. She is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, co-founder of Plant-Based Juniors, and co-author of the new book, The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler. We're going to talk a lot about nutrition for this stage of life, like nutrition that will help with fertility and nutrition for when you do get pregnant. And this isn't just for my females out there, but my dudes too. Like it takes two to tango. So we're going to be talking about nutrition for better male fertility as well. So if you know anyone trying, definitely send along this podcast. If you're not trying yet, maybe bank this in your subconscious mind. Like I... I can't believe I'm 33 and just learning this stuff. So there are a ton of takeaways in this episode for everyone. So get cozy and we will be right back. 
Okay. So we're talking about nutrition for fertility this week. And one thing I've done to help in the fertility department is I started taking the conception support pack from Parallel Health. Parallel is the first and only OBGYN founded prenatal vitamin with targeted nutrients for each stage of motherhood. I didn't know this, but my doctor told me it's actually smart to take a prenatal before you get pregnant. That way your body can build up ample nutrients ahead of conception, which is important for early healthy development for baby. So when I first started looking at prenatals to take, I found Parallel and I love that they have a prenatal specifically for the trying to conceive stage. They also have targeted prenatals for each separate trimester of pregnancy and also a postpartum. And most prenatals treat this journey with like a one-size-fits-all approach, but your body changes throughout each stage and so do your nutritional needs. So for their conception support pack, I mean, it has everything you need in a high-quality prenatal supplement while also including nutrients like folate, omega DHA, and COQ10, which supports egg health and ovarian stimulation, which ta-da, supports conception. I also ordered Brandon their men's multi-support pack, which supports his general and reproductive health as well, and was formulated by a panel of leading doctors, including one of the nation's leading reproductive endocrinologists and obstetricians, Dr. Brian Levine. So if you're thinking about pregnancy like me or are already on the journey, check out ParallelHealth.com and use code BIGKID20 for 20% off your first month. That's ParallelHealth.com and use code BIGKID20 for 20% off. All right, guys, welcome back to the Big Kid Problem Podcast. I'm sitting here with Whitney English. I am so excited for our topic today. Welcome to the show, girlfriend. So am I, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So nice to see you. So good to see you. This is so funny. We were like going back and forth on topics and you threw this out there. And I was like, this is so perfect. Saying like, you spent 30 years trying not to get pregnant and now you want to have a baby. Like things change, things change. (laughs) Right? right? It changes completely. We spent all this time doing everything in our power. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, now I, now I need to know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I'm kind of in that similar boat. Like I was the girl that was like, you know, like snorting birth control, um, <laughs> like, you know, double, just doing everything I could to not get pregnant. And now that I'm like, actually, we're starting to talk about it, starting to like go down that journey of like, you know, tracking our ovulation and all of that good stuff. And I know nutrition is a big part of it. And I'm curious, would you say that nutrition, can you actually, will it actually help you get pregnant? Like, is that something that you can actually use to help you become more fertile? Or do we need to think about nutrition in a way of like, it's something to think about after you get pregnant? Absolutely not. Nutrition is always important for fertility, for pregnancy, for lactation, for literally every stage of the life cycle. I can't say that it will definitely help you get pregnant. There are so many other extenuating circumstances and factors uh, that go into fertility. So I I hate when women are having uh, trouble getting pregnant and then they somehow feel like it's all on them. It's their fault for their diet or some aspect of their lifestyle. But sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes you can be doing everything right and you still will have trouble conceiving. So it's one part of the picture. It's definitely important, but it's not the only factor. Got it. Okay. I think that's a good thing to note. But let's say all the variables are equal. It can can potentially help you. 
Yes, definitely. Nutrition is so important from, from helping prepare your body to have a healthy baby to actually helping the baby grow and develop. So nutrition can give you that edge. And certainly if you have poor nutrition, it can impair fertility. So the second you want to start getting pregnant, I mean, I shouldn't say just then, any time in your life, <laughs> nutrition is important. But once you know that you want to have a baby, that's when I would really zero in on what lifestyle changes can I make to give myself the best chance of, of getting pregnant. Yeah. So that is exactly why I wanted to have you on. I want to like... That's where you're at. <laughs> yeah. That's where I'm at. I want to dive in. I want to know like what... Okay. So like what kind of lifestyle changes would you say is like the first... like the first uh, like place you should start? Yeah. So if we're talking about nutrition, like let's look at what you're eating. There's no food that's going to be a magic bullet. So you might see these lists where it's like, eat these five foods and you'll get pregnant. Like that's definitely not the case. So there are certain foods that contain certain nutrients or part of certain dietary patterns that have shown um, associations with increased fertility. So the first thing I'll point out is the Mediterranean diet. The Mediterranean diet is consistently associated with improved fertility. And that looks like lots of legumes, nuts, whole grains, fruits and vegetables, um, the diet of the Mediterranean area, area. And we hear about this a lot, not just for fertility, but really for all aspects of health. These are the types of foods that tend to be beneficial to health. Um, so that also means a diet that contains possibly moderate amounts of fish and minimal amounts of things like saturated fat and red meat. And if we look at the research, there are studies that show that eating a Mediterranean diet could reduce your risk of infertility by about half. Uh, there are also studies showing that women undergoing IVF who follow a Mediterranean diet have about a 40% increased chance of pregnancy. So this is definitely a, a good dietary pattern to follow if you're looking to get pregnant. And it's also not restrictive. So it, it, it doesn't talk about cutting any foods out of the diet. It talks mainly about what you want to eat more of. So if we're going to focus on three things that have been associated with fertility that are also part of the Mediterranean diet, the first one is fiber-rich carbohydrates. So that means things like fruits and vegetables, again, legumes, and whole grains. These are all um, cornerstones of a Mediterranean diet. The next thing is healthy fats. So fats that are rich in poly and monounsaturated fatty acids, and those are mainly the ones that are found in plants. Um, so eating a lot of things like nuts and seeds, avocados, um, healthy plant oils like, like olive oil and avocado oil. And then again, limiting foods that are high in so-called bad fats like saturated fat or trans fat. And trans fat is really only found in ultra processed foods and it's actually illegal in the US now. So um, it's mainly been phased out of the diet. Uh, the last thing that is really important for fertility is op optimizing plant protein in your diet. So you don't need to completely cut out animal products, but when you can swap out plant protein, that can be a great thing. There's been lots of studies that have shown increased fertility for every serving of meat that was replaced with a serving of vegetable protein. So focusing again on things like legumes, like whole grains, and even soy foods. Um, soy gets a bad rap, but actually the research has either shown that soy has a neutral effect on pregnancy or in some cases it may even increase fertility. So there was one study of women undergoing IVF that found that those with the highest intake of soy isoflavins, which are the phytochemicals found in soy, which 
typically people say are what produce the health benefits. Women with the highest intake had a 77% increased chance of live birth compared to women with the lowest intake. So that's kind of like a broad picture of, of what you can do spe- specifically with foods in your diet. Um, ooh, the next- ooh, wait, before we move on, because I want to get yeah. I want to get specific on some of these. So when we talk about like soy products, like the only thing that I think of is tofu and soy yeah. sauce. Like, are there other options? <laughs> there are so many other options. Like, um, yeah, but some. Th- those are those are probably the main ones. Like I wouldn't say I wouldn't say soy sauce is what you should focus on if you're trying to improve your fertility because it's just uh, very high in sodium. It's not exactly the most nutritious uh, um, food. It also doesn't have any isoflavins. But um, tofu, for sure. I eat so much tofu. Um, And then tempeh, which is uh, similar to tofu. It is pressed soybeans. So you can make like tempeh bacon. You can use tempeh to make a meat-like bolognese sauce. Um, you can bake it. There are so many different things to do with that. And then edamame. I'm, I know you're familiar with edamame. If you're oh, yeah. if you're familiar with soy sauce or you eat sushi, then you're probably familiar with edamame, which is the pods, the oh, green yeah. pods I, of soybeans. I am a basic bitch. I know my way around an oh, edamame bowl. <laughs> yeah, you, you've popped a few in your day, I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> so those are probably those are the main ones that that I eat. But then there's also. Uh, miso, if we're talking about like miso soup, there are things called like natto, which is a fermented um, soy product. Uh, there are lots of different different options. But if you like tofu, great. Work that into your diet. Soy milk, that's another way um, to get some soy into your diet. And also a good way to get in calcium as well, which we're talking about fertility. But once we get to the pregnancy part, uh, calcium needs are so important, especially for women who don't eat dairy, um, mm. including something like a fortified soy milk daily is a really good way to help meet needs. Because if you aren't meeting your calcium needs, um, it's not your baby necessarily that's going to suffer. It's you because your baby will begin leaching calcium from your bones. Oh, okay. We're going to really have to get into that. But I, I still want, before we move on from foods, because I do want to, I want to harp on this a little bit. Um, and you mentioned um, carbohydrate rich vegetables. Yes. Can you give us a couple examples? Like, are we eating sweet potatoes, regular potatoes? Like, give us a couple other. Yeah, really. So, um, fiber rich carbohydrates. So, um, all fruits and vegetables are carbohydrates, and all fruits and vegetables are fiber rich, actually. So, any of those, any potato, if you're cooking it traditionally, baking it, keeping the skin on, that's going to be a good fiber rich option. Um, when you see people saying white potatoes are bad and sweet potatoes are good, that's just not in line with science. Actually, all potatoes are an awesome source of lots of different nutrients. For example, potatoes, uh, white potatoes specifically, are one of the highest sources of vitamin C, which a lot of people are shocked. They're like, there's no nutritional value. And we're like, actually, there is. How about, how about the way you eat your potato? Like, can I eat like a handful of French fries? Like, is that... <laughs> I mean, girl, you can do whatever you want, especially if you're pregnant. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you not to eat French fries. But this is the way I look at nutrition. It's really about the totality of your diet. It's about what you're doing on a daily basis. Um, it's not about a single meal. It's not about a single side of French fries. If you're only eating French fries, if you're eating French fries like multiple times a day every day, then I'm gonna say, hey, maybe we should look at what's going on with those French fries. But if you're generally uh, eating a whole foods diet, again, kind of following that Mediterranean diet style pattern, you really don't need to worry about foods that are less nutritious here or there. Mm. There's 
something I always like to point out is uh, there's one vitamin in the diet that a lot of people neglect, and that's vitamin P, and that's for pleasure. So mm-hmm. you can't you can't neglect pleasure in your diet. That leads to a really restrictive pattern where. Um, you're on or off the wagon. And that doesn't lead to lifelong positive dietary habits. So I'd rather see you eating nutritious foods 80% of the time and also letting yourself have those pleasurable foods when you want them. Mm. Here. Okay. And then before we move on from foods, I feel like we should talk about meats for a second. Because I know you said Mediterranean diet. I'm thinking of a lot of fish. Can you eat yeah. too much fish where it's like you should be concerned about mercury? Um, like where, where would you say is like a good... like what you would recommend weekly. Definitely. So the recommendation for fish is about two to three servings a week of a low mercury fish. Um, And you can look online. um, I forget the body. I can give you this later if you want to include a link to it. But you can look up um, the average amount of mercury in all fishes. And the thing is that all fish is going to have a little bit of uh, heavy metals and a little bit of environmental contaminants. A lot of the pesticides and environmental contaminants that are that are in our in our atmosphere often flow down into the oceans, and this occurs over decades. Um, so that's one reason maybe to have a moderate or a limited fish intake. There are benefits from fish, but these are some of the drawbacks. Um, so when you do choose fish, though, again, like I said, you're going to want to choose low mercury fish. The bigger the fish, the more mercury. So you want to avoid things like shark and ray, which a lot of people in the U.S. aren't eating anyway. Um, but things that you might more commonly see in an American diet would be things like swordfish or tuna. So those are things that are going to be more high in mercury. So I'd say if you are going to include fish, maybe two to three servings of something like salmon per week, or again, looking at that list and finding a low mercury fish. The biggest benefit from fish though, is also going to be finding those that are rich in the omega-3 fatty acid, DHA. So unfortunately, a lot of the low mercury fish are also low in DHA, and then you're kind of losing that health benefit. So that's why I point to salmon. Mm. Then salmon's also overfished. This um, is a whole bag of worms. <laughs> I know. Um, I know like when you get pregnant, you're not supposed to eat sushi. Like can you, if you're just thinking of fertil- fertility wise, like trying to boost your fertility, would you still recommend eating sushi or more like lean more towards the cooked fish? Um, they're actually, so the concerns with sushi and other foods that you're told to avoid in, in um, during pregnancy are really because of food contamination. Um, and that's because certain... Uh, bacteria could then enter the bloodstream and, and, and harm the growing baby. Those aren't those aren't concerns during fertility. So yeah, you could still get food poisoning from sushi, uh, but it's not going to impact your fertility. Okay, I want to suck down as much sushi as I can before <laughs> I get pregnant. Like, I that's like one of my favorite things to eat, and that's one of the things yeah. I'm like most scared about pregnancy is like not having like a crunchy tuna roll. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> aside from fish, aside from fish, um, thinking about like regular meats. So, like, are, would you recommend you know um, like leaning towards like grass fed beef? Like, are you looking at meat quality, or do you want to is like any type of meat okay? Yeah. So overall for fertility, research actually shows that reducing your red meat intake could potentially benefit your your fertility. So there was one study. Yeah. There was one study out of Harvard that actually showed that for every additional serving of meat a day, the risk of ovulatory infertility went up 
by about 32%. And so the bulk of the research is actually suggesting that the more you can replace meat and specifically red meat with vegetable-based protein, the better it is for your fertility. So again, you don't have to, you don't have to completely cut out meat. If you love meat, you know, I, I advocate a predominantly plant-based diet, the more plants, the better, but yeah, the more you, you can reduce your intake, the better it's probably going to be for your fertility. Okay. That's actually really good to know. I think we eat like red meat probably three times a week in this house. So yeah, (laughs) maybe something to consider. Um, chicken, chicken, like, is that okay? Chicken, it depends on the study. You know, there are neutral effects. Um, it, it typically comes out as, a, as neutral, not showing an association with harm or benefit. There have been studies um, that have lumped chicken in with, with meat and again, showed uh, reduced fertility rates. Uh, it's one of those things, again, it's hard to pinpoint foods the way research is done. We, we, we don't do the most high quality studies on things like pregnancy or fertility or really, really diet in general, when we're looking at the course of the life, we do association studies. We look at observations. Um, And so it's hard to point out and say, is chicken okay? And how much is okay? But like I said before, if we're looking at larger dietary patterns, we do see associations where the more you include vegetable-based protein versus an animal-based protein, the more your fertility increases. Mm. And there's a plethora of reasons for that. One of the reasons that um, we kind of talked about with fish is because of environmental contaminants, for example. These are higher in animal products and environmental contaminants have been shown to impair fertility. So again, like with fish where there might be some benefits, there are also drawbacks. Okay. Oh my God. I'm so happy we're talking about this. Um, I want to get back to that, uh, the calcium thing. So you're talking about dairy. Um, I am, I, I try to be dairy free. I slip up a lot, but, um, I, I, that's like, I, my overreaching thing, like I have like lactose intolerance. I I usually eat a lot of like dairy free cheeses when I cook and stuff like that. So, um, are those okay? And, what can we do to maybe get more calcium in our diet if we are avoiding dairy? Absolutely. Um, you know, I eat a predominantly plant-based diet, so I do eat cheese here and there, but I typically tend to opt for plant alternatives. Um, those are great. Like I said, though, they typically are lowering calcium. So you want to be getting... An adult female needs about 1,000 milligrams of calcium a day. And that's the same during pregnancy because although your your needs go up during pregnancy, your body's absorption of calcium also increases to make up for those increased needs. So it's just more important to think about during pregnancy. The easiest main way is by making sure or that these plant-based alternatives that you're consuming are fortified with calcium. So looking on the label for your soy milk or your almond milk or whatever kind of milk alternative you're drinking and making sure that it says calcium and it says about 30% next to it. That means that they've added calcium carbonate into it. One thing to note too, always shake up the milk because the calcium can settle on the bottom and you're not going to be getting it in your cup if you don't shake it up. Mm. Um, a lot of the yogurts out there aren't, are actually not calcium fortified. So again, check the label. Um, don't rely on those heavily for your calcium source, but whole foods are actually a really great source of calcium, whole plant foods. So cruciferous vegetables, things like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, these are all rich in calcium, um, as are things like beans and whole grains. And it's actually interesting to note that the cruciferous vegetables have about double the absorption compared to dairy and cow's milk for calcium. 
Oh, that's good to know. I know I don't typically yeah. think of broccoli when I think of calcium, but that's that's really good to know. Yeah, if you ate a couple cups of broccoli a day, you would be making a major dent in your calcium needs. The thing is, once you get pregnant, especially in the first trimester, you are not going to want to be eating broccoli. At least, at least I didn't, and most of the women I talked to uh, with morning sickness and aversions, a lot of the time, nutritious foods aren't the first thing that you're gravitating towards. And that's why at that point, I say to really lean heavily on those fortified products. Using a fortified milk in a smoothie or in an acai bowl can be a really great way both to get overall nutrition like protein, uh, but also to meet those calcium needs. Oh, okay. Yeah, for early pregnancy, because I know we've been talking a lot about fertility, but for early pregnancy, um, what are maybe some uh, nutrition recommendations that you would make? Well, the first thing I would say is be easy on yourself. I think so many women get really stressed out because they've read all this information. They're like, I have to be as healthy as possible. I want my baby to be healthy. And I feel like shit and I can't eat anything. I can't keep food down. The last thing I want to do is eat a green vegetable. And I say, chill out. Your nutrient needs do not go up that much in the first trimester. Baby is very, very tiny. I'm not saying to completely neglect your your nutrition, but if you're having a hard time eating healthfully, it's okay. Take your supplements because those will provide a lot of the nutrients that your baby needs and just eat what you can. If you're relying on bagels and cream cheese um, and you don't touch a green vegetable, that's all right. Make up for it in the second trimester. Um, When you are up to it though, try to pack in those nutrients. So as I said before, like smoothies and, um, and smoothie bowls, acai bowls are a really good way to get a lot of nutrients in because cold foods are often more uh, tolerable to women who are nauseous as are fruits. So that's a, that's a great place where you can, make something that doesn't repulse you, but that you could also pack in some protein powder in there, Um, Mm. get in some of that calcium fortified milk, get in some vegetables, sneak those in, some that maybe aren't very pungent and aren't going to make you sick. Uh, And have a smoothie, have an acai bowl daily, multiple times a day, if that's what you can keep down. Yeah, I could get down with a with a smoothie diet. I freaking love a smoothie. Um, okay, so we've been talking about like female nutrition, obviously, this whole time. Um, yes. What about our What about our dudes out there? Like, can guys eat anything that's going to help them um, with their fertility? Yeah doesn't doesn't it drive you insane that it like all of the um, it all falls on the the women all the time? Yes. Like, oh, mom must not be doing something right because you're not getting pregnant. It takes two to tango. Dude's nutrition is just as important. There's actually, there's not as much research on male fertility as there is on female fertility, but the more and more that's coming out shows that it's it's equally important. A lot of the things that are beneficial to moms, like following a Mediterranean diet, a dietary pattern, rich in fruits and vegetables has been shown to be helpful for sperm parameters. Whereas eating diets that are rich in things like sugary foods, red meat, saturated fat has actually been shown to be um, associated with reduced sperm counts. So the same way you're eating is the way your man should be eating. There's also been some uh, promising research on antioxidants. And these are mainly found in, again, uh, plant foods and really in fruits and vegetables. So I say, take your man to the farmer's market, have him pick out a bunch of fruits and veggies and get him eating those. 
guys, I have a life hack for you. All you need is 10 minutes a day for 10 days to get your brightest, whitest smile yet. For those of you who don't know, I mean, I've been raving about Bride Bright for a while now. It is an at-home teeth whitening system. It's actually what I use to get ready for my wedding uh, to get my teeth looking their absolute best. And here I am four months later using it again just for touch-ups. Like I am obsessed. Bride Bright was developed by a dentist and his fiance who were getting ready for their wedding. And it has everything you need to remove red wine, coffee, and tea stains and get your brightest smile ever. Every kit comes with three whitening pens, which is actually a lot. Like I've had this kit for four months and I still have half the whitening pens left. So you can do multiple 10-day at-home treatments and touch-ups as needed. And it also comes with a wireless LED light mouthpiece to accelerate the whitening process. So I'm on my second round using the system. Let's just say I've drank a lot of wine and coffee since my wedding. And after a few days of using Bride Bright, my teeth are back to that pearly wedding ready white. I mean, I really think a bright smile makes such a difference. It's one of the easiest ways to just look better faster. And I get complimented all the time on my smile. And it's no secret, guys. It's freaking Bride Bright. It works. So smile big and check out Bride Bright on Instagram at Bride Bright and purchase all of your teeth whitening needs today at www.bridebright.co. That's B-R-I-D-E, B-R-I-T-E dot C-O. Use code BIGKID for free shipping and 40% off. Yes, that's 40% off with the code BIGKID, which is a huge savings. So thank me later. That's bridebright.co and use code BIGKID at checkout. When I think of, I'm just thinking of, you know, like, things that I've heard for sperm in the past. Like I know I've heard of like eating pineapple helps your sperm taste better. Like, is there any magical foods that help those suckers swim faster? Unfortunately, there is no specific food that I've, that I've read about. But again, yeah, it's just kind of that overall dietary pattern that, that we're looking at. There's nothing, there's no specific magic bullet. I wish I, wish I could tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, I want to talk about some other things too, like when it comes to alcohol infertility, because yes. your girl has not been great. I've been having a hot vaxxed summer... I've been <laughs> drinking a lot of uh, Aperol spritzes. Like, does alcohol have an effect on your... I know it's obviously bad when you're pregnant, but what if you're trying yeah. to get pregnant? Is it is it bad? <laughs> so current recommendations actually aren't to um, abstain from alcohol when you're trying to get pregnant. The, the research on... Yeah. So the research on alcohol and its impact on fertility is really mixed. We've got a lot of studies on it, but about half say it's harmful and about half say that there's a, a neutral, no, no effect. So at this point, for someone who hasn't had ongoing infertility issues, I definitely wouldn't say that you need to cut out alcohol. If you've been trying to get pregnant for a really long time and nothing else is working, it can't hurt to try that. I will say, however, that because when you are trying to get pregnant, there is a time period when you 
probably won't know that you're pregnant about. So I don't know if you know this, but we they start considering uh, the counting the weeks from the day after your period ends. So the very beginning of your cycle. So week one and two are actually before the egg is even ovulated. And then week three and four are the first two weeks after the egg's been fertilized. And most people don't know they're pregnant until about week five or six. So if you're drinking heavily during this time period, there will be overlap between when the baby is actually in your body and when you're consuming a lot of alcohol. And that's dangerous. There's no acceptable amount of alcohol for a baby. Mm. But again, a lot of people get pregnant and don't even know it. So if you have a few drinks during those first few weeks, it's, it's probably going to be fine. I certainly did in both of my pregnancies. I never stopped drinking while I was trying to get pregnant, but I also didn't drink excessively. So I would say anytime during the months when you're trying to conceive, especially on the, the two weeks, if you are tracking and you know when um, ovulation occurs, especially on the two weeks between then, I would really uh, minimize drinking. So one, perhaps one standard drink at a, at a city. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're not going on bachelorette parties and, and throwing back jello shots. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, ba- I have a bachelorette party in like two weeks and I'm like, Oh God, how do I, what do I do? Um, well, hopefully okay. maybe it falls between the end of your period and the day of ovulation. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at that calendar a little bit closer. <laughs> um, and, and like, what about other than alcohol? For any of our, our people who dabble in other substances like pot, I don't know, mushrooms, molly, or <laughs> is it the, <laughs> the same, laundry I mean, list? The laundry list of, or even just medication, like even just like Adderall or, you know, some of these um, Xanax. I'm just trying to think of like standard yeah. things that maybe some of our audience dabbles in. Um, are all things created equally? Like I like to tell, I'd like to tell myself, like maybe like if it's natural, it's not as bad, but what, what, what would you, what would you recommend? You know, there isn't there isn't a ton of research to rely on for this just because ethically it would be really hard to randomize people to receive drugs and not and then and try to get pregnant. Um, but the the general research that we do have says that drug use, illicit drug use specifically is a major no-no um, for when you're trying to conceive, when definitely when you're pregnant. Um, <laughs> marijuana has been associated with a decreased time to getting pregnant for women. And then for men, it's been associated with reduced t- testosterone, reduced sperm motility, um, and then just general male infertility. And then similarly, Similarly, cocaine use has been uh, associated with reduced sperm counts. Um, Mm. So again, especially for a man who's not actually going to be carrying the baby, I would say that dabbling once in a while is is probably not a big deal for your overall fertility, your, your chances of fertility in the long run. But when you're actually in it and you're actually trying to conceive, I, I would not, I would, I would cut out. Okay. I would cut out the bed. Yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna send this podcast to a couple of friends of mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um I did have a friend tell me I mean, me, but you know, like I said, we went to Coachella together back in the day. So is it gonna harm you long term? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't worry about I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. A friend of mine did tell me um that her doctor told her that like even if you get pregnant right away, that you're not really like sharing blood with the baby until like eight weeks. So like your nutrition or if you do something really bad, like maybe you did go to Coachella and you didn't know you were pregnant, that like it's not as bad as like after that eight week mark. 
will say just to relieve anyone who's feeling anxious, you know, if you find out you're pregnant, you didn't know, and you you did some things that you probably wouldn't have done if you knew you were pregnant, chill out. You know, like it's, there's, there are so many factors that go into the health of the baby. When we're talking about things like this may increase the risk of this, it's all about risk. It's a small percentage of people that will actually have these outcomes. So, um, stress and anxiety is not good for a baby either. So try to put that behind you and move on with your life. That said, you actually start sharing a blood supply with your baby around week four or five. Um, And we talked about that timeline. So week four or five is actually only two weeks after the egg was fertilized. And it's actually probably right before or right about when you would learn that you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And so no amount of alcohol or drugs is safe at any point during pregnancy. And your nutrition always matters Uh, from ensuring again, that you have, you are healthy enough to carry a baby to providing those nutrients for growth and development. Um, So I would, I would not try to time out when the bloodstream gets, uh, when the blood starts being shared. (laughs) Okay, good to know. (laughs) And and how about when you do, like when you first take that test, you find out you're pregnant. um, Are there like, do you have to go immediately into that diet of like no sushi, no coffee, like all the things that they tell you to? Um, are, there, or are there any other like no-nos that you would say when it comes to nutrition or or maybe some things that you think are super important, like right when you first find out? Well, right when you first find out, yeah, you probably want to start following that list of foods to avoid. I can send you some more information about the sushi later. It's actually kind of mixed. In Europe, they actually say that sushi is okay as long as you're getting it from a reputable establishment where you know that they froze it at negative four degrees. It's still going to carry a potential risk for bacterial contamination, but not as high of one that you would be worried about for pregnancy. If it was properly frozen, then there won't be any... um, any concern for parasites, which was the main concern when they made that recommendation years ago and why the U.S. still sticks with it. But yeah, you're going to want to generally follow all of these recommendations because your risk of food poisoning goes up with certain Mm. specific foods. And then there are other types of issues beyond just food poisoning. Um, There are things like pathogens like listeria, which could actually cause you to miscarry or could really hurt the baby. So um, that's why you need to avoid these foods. Not because you're more likely to get sick or or eat a contaminated food, but because the effects that would, the, the outcome of eating it would be more harmful for a pregnant woman. So do you have to immediately stop that day? It's all about risk. You know, you're, mm-hmm. are you actually going to accidentally consume something that's contaminated? Probably not. I will give you a uh, helpful or probably this will make you excited is that you don't have to cut out coffee and, cafe- and caffeine. Um, that makes me record- very excited. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I probably wouldn't have kids. If I had to yeah. cut out coffee, <laughs> I'm like, it's, is it worth it? I don't know. Um, you can have 200 to 300 milligrams of caffeine a day. So that's about the amount in two cups of coffee or a large latte. It's been shown to be perfectly safe. Okay, so hopefully that'll give you the reassurance you need to power through. 
Okay, that's good to know. I'd probably just end up divorced by the end of my pregnancy. Yeah, you're be like, a nightmare. maybe I'll still have the baby, but I don't know if I can tolerate the husband anymore. <laughs> I don't know if the husband would tolerate me is the problem. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, one other question I wanted to ask, um, and I wanted to ask this back when we were talking about calcium and stuff like that. Like, these yeah. are kind of things you could probably supplement. Um, I wanted to talk about supplements for a second. Sure. So first for fertility, is there any supplements that you would recommend us taking to help uh, boost our fertility? Yeah, so there's been minim, minimal research on this, but two nutrients have been shown um, to potentially boost fertility, and that's folate or folic acid, if we're talking about the synthetic form, and then B12. There have been some studies that showed that women with the highest levels of these two nutrients in their bloodstreams had about a 50% increased uh, chance of, of getting pregnant. So I would definitely recommend supplementing with those. Folic acid has a upper tolerable limit. So you definitely don't want to take more than the RDA. But what you can do is you can take the RDA of folic acid, which is uh, 600 micrograms, sorry. And then you can eat a lot of folate rich rich food. So folate is found naturally in like leafy green vegetables and, and things like beans. So again, even just sticking to that Mediterranean dietary pattern, you will be eating probably a lot of folate. And then B12, you, you should supplement. And there is not an upper tolerable limit for that. So it's water soluble. You'll just excrete any excess. So um, you can take larger amounts of that. Back to the folate for a second. A lot of people have heard of this nutrient because um, folate has been shown to reduce the risk of neural tube defects. And these are things that can occur in those early weeks of pregnancy before you even know that you're pregnant. So I actually recommend that any woman who's trying to conceive um, right then, possibly even three months before starting to try, start taking a multivitamin, um, a, a multi-prenatal vitamin. And that will contain that, that folate or folic acid in there that you need, as well as other nutrients, just to make sure that you're not deficient in anything. Because really any nutrient deficiency could potentially impact your fertility and definitely could potentially impact the baby once you become pregnant. So if you're anemic prior to pregnancy and you have low iron, that can be harmful to baby. So you really just want to make sure that your all of your health is on track. I recommend going to the doctor and just getting some simple blood work done to make sure that you're not deficient in any, any key nutrients. Mm, I remember my, um, my OBGYN told me that like earlier in the year, because I told her I was going to start trying like towards the middle of the year. And she's like, start taking a prenatal. And I was like, oh, yeah. huh. Didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it primes your body for pregnancy. And you can look at the research all you want, but there are a lot of things that we don't know. And it would be my best guess that if you're deficient in really anything, that's going to affect how your how your body is 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 normally functioning and whether it can have a normal pregnancy. So okay. it's kind of like an, taking out an insurance policy on your fertility. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. This has all been so, so helpful. I, have, I do have one more selfish question. Okay. Um, just because this is like an argument that I'm already getting into with Brandon is about like gluten and okay. fertility and gluten and pregnancy because he is very gluten intolerant. I'm okay. Like I will eat a bagel here and there. I have a, you know, a piece of pizza. Like I'm I'm okay. But he says he's like once you're pregnant, you should really cut out gluten. Apparently he's done all this research and I'm like, "All right, I have Whitney coming on the show. I'm going to ask her." Okay. <laughs> I'd be curious to know what he had read was was the problem with gluten. Um if it could potentially be the research showing that gluten intake during pregnancy. So 
the things that we might be concerned about with gluten are number one, a gluten allergy. So that's celiac disease. Um, and then type one diabetes has actually been associated with gluten as well, because a lot of people who are allergic to gluten and have celiac disease, there is some overlap and they also have type one diabetes. So some of the research has looked at whether or not gluten intake during pregnancy can increase the chance of those two conditions. And the research has been completely mixed. So um, at this point, it's definitely not indicated to cut out gluten because one, uh, we, we don't know and we don't think that it, it affects those conditions, but also because gluten is found in some of the most nutritious foods in the diet. The ones that you listed, maybe not the most nutritious, those are called refined carbohydrate products, but gluten is also found in a lot of high fiber, complex carbohydrate foods like whole grains, which we talked about earlier are a cornerstone of the Mediterranean diet. And whole grain intake has actually been associated with uh, better pregnancy outcomes. So so a lower risk of things like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure during pregnancy. And it's also a really important source of things like protein and minerals like iron and zinc. Um, people who cut gluten out of their diet or whole grains in general often have a very low fiber intake. And this can have just a widespread array of, of issues for your health, um, not just for pregnancy, but it can decimate the microbiome, which can then lead to digestive issues. Uh, we're just learning about the gut-brain connection. So it can even be connected with mood disorders. So if you don't have to cut gluten and specifically whole grains out of your diet, I would highly encourage that, that you don't. Some of the research, perhaps the, what people have suggested, why that they have had some studies linking gluten intake during pregnancy to um, uh, celiac disease in childhood. And again, this is a very low risk if they're finding, when they, when they find a, co a connection, it's not like, like half of the people who eat gluten then have kids with celiac disease. It's a very small percentage. Could be because these people are have genetic markers for celiac disease. And that's why some of this research has not been um, done up to the standards that we would like to see. We like to see people separated into groups to those who already have a genetic susceptibility to these conditions and then um, track whether or not there's an association. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you mentioned so eat your bagels. And honestly, if, if anyone's trying to take a bagel away from a pregnant woman, I mean, I fear, I fear for your life. <laughs> That's kind of what I've said. I'm like, if I'm craving an everything bagel, baby girl is getting an everything yeah. bagel. <laughs> um, Whitney, thank you so much. This has been so, so helpful. Um, I love this episode. If people want to like learn more about nutrition and, and not even just for fertility, but I know you do a lot of work with nutrition for babies um, through, throughout pregnancy and for um, babies through childhood too. Um, where can we find more from you? Yeah. So over on my channel, Whitney ERD, that's um, on Instagram and WhitneyERD.com. I do a lot of um, nutrition myth busting and nutrition advice for adults. And then I have another channel called Plant-Based Juniors and plantbasedjuniors.com. And over there, we cover everything from pregnancy to lactation to children, toddler, older kid nutrition. And we just had a book that came out called The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler. If you have kids, if you listen to this later later on after you get pregnant. Um, and then we also have a, a pregnancy guide, the predominantly plant-based pregnancy guide, which is an ebook and PDF that covers literally everything you need to know um, if you're interested in having a plant-rich pregnancy. Amazing. Okay. I'm going to include all of that in our show notes so it's easy to find. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Sarah. 
Okay, that is a wrap on our episode this week. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, remember to hit that subscribe button and leave a nice little five-star review for this podcast. Maybe send it to a friend who you think might enjoy the show. Your reviews and you passing along this podcast is what keeps us running. So thank you. If you want more from me, you can follow me on Big Kid Problems on Instagram and on my personal account, which has a new handle all of a sudden, uh, at Sarah Merrill underscore Hall. New name, who's this? As always, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show possible. I've linked all of our discount codes and everything else you could ever want from this episode in our show notes. So make sure to check that out. And finally, I want to thank you for tuning in and supporting this show. There's a lot of ways you could be spending your time right now. So I really do appreciate you spending it with me. All right. With that, I hope you have an awesome week and I'll see you next Tuesday.